this is not a test. This is episode 99 of Game of Crimes. Hello, everybody, players, playwrights, doo-doo-dets, amigas, amigos, everybody in between. This is a momentous one because the next one, what's 99 plus one, Murph? Uh, it's not 199. Uh, 100? 100. We are coming up on episode 100. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Dude, I'm telling you. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, I'm just, uh, we're, I mean, that's a testament to our listeners that you guys are still supporting us after almost two years here. Yeah, you know, and, um, I think, you know, they, they've 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 uh, worked with us, they've suffered with us, you know, they've gone through the same stuff we have, and those folks that are still out there listening to us, and to you new listeners, we want to thank you. So obviously you guys knew who I am, Morgan Wright, literally here with my partner in crime. It's Murph. And I, and I got to tell you, for those of you that suffered through my wife giving me down the road for two hours, God bless you. Thank you. He's <laughs> <laughs> a peach. Uh, well, hey, guys, just some quick housekeeping before we get started. Hey, head on over to Apple, Spotify, those five stars. They help us out a lot. Just hit the five, leave a comment, tell us what you think. You know, if you want to see an episode, if you got some suggestions, leave them there. Uh, we really appreciate all the feedback we get from everybody. Also, head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a ton of books. We have a ton of books um, on there. You know, we had two of them that we put from Jared Kobach last week when we did uh, The Zodiac Killer. So that was an interesting episode, but we put his two books on that. And then, uh, like I said, we've got a lot of good stuff, so head on over there. Also, follow us on that thing they call social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But, dude, Murph, you got to be on Patreon. I, I know you got to be. Well, you are on Patreon because we record our episodes and put them there. <laughs> That's You know what? We do some stuff on—I mean, I love doing what we're doing, especially when we bring the guests on because we bring some some, some fantastic people on here. But doing on Patreon, we get a little bit more into our personal opinions. Uh, you, you guys, our listeners on Patreon, you feed a lot into what we bring on there. Our case of the month, the uh, Q and A, especially the Q and A, we haven't turned down a single question yet. And I think the last one we did was over an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Well, we had to break. It would have been two hours had we answered all of Alex's questions. Alex is still got the title for asking the most questions, which he's proud of. But yeah. we get to it in part two. So, hey, but we we answer all questions. He's a very inquisitive young man. <laughs> we love it. Yes. No, and look, guys, too, we just, uh, because of uh, Steve, not Seagal, uh, C uh, Siegel, we did uh, a review of the Boston Marathon bombing, the Netflix documentary that was there because we had Ed Davis on. So we went through that, went into some more depth on that. So that that was all good stuff. And guys, we got a lot of good stuff coming out. 911, what's your emergency? You can't make this shit up. Uh, the Narcometer, we review uh, movies for accuracy, authenticity, and believability. And by the way, somebody posted, I'm going to have them banned. Somebody posted a clip of Bruce Willis saying, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. That is false. That is a deep fake video. It is. And that's one of the movies we reviewed. I just want well, to you be know, he, He's suffering from some, uh, I don't know if it's dementia or Alzheimer's or what. You know, he, he kind of forgot. Let's just give him a break on this one. Yeah, let's. but it is. Greatest Christmas movie of all time. <laughs> so we'll do that, guys. So, hey, look, you got to be on over there. So how do you find us? Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. That's Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. One more time, if you're listening on the road, that's Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. And by the way, Murph, that is, uh, there's psychology behind that. When you hear ads on the radio, mm -hmm. they always repeat the number three times. Yeah, I know it's aggravating as hell, and we're doing the same same thing. But we're not on the radio. This is a podcast. Aha, there you go. It's different. All right, guys. Hey, and before we get started, too, make sure you head on over and visit our Game of Crimes fan page, run by our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato, who runs it, not with an iron fist, with a velvet fist, I would go. say. But, but still a fist, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and guys, just head on over there. Just go into Facebook, type Game of Crimes fans. It'll pop up. Ask a couple simple questions. Just get close. Get in the ballpark, you know, and then you'll be admitted. You'll be deemed worthy of admittance to the inner sanctum. You'll go through a ritual. You know, we have to haze you, and then uh, <laughs> there's a secret agreement you have to sign. But beyond that, it's all good fun. Yeah, and, and I mean, when you when you get that mortgage check each month, you know, the, I mean, the mortgage bill from Morgan and I, yeah, just go ahead and pay your part of it. We'll, yeah, just, we'll call yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just, just do it. It's it's all it's all fun and games till somebody loses an eye, right? There you go. So speaking of losing an eye, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously, but if you haven't figured it out yet, we never take ourselves serious. We're going to have some fun on here. And what's one of the ways we have fun? Well, we have this thing we call. Whee! 
Small town police blotter. <laughs> and thanks to Tracy Jacobs. I stole this from her. Good. Off the Game of Tribes fan page. Way to go, Tracy. We blame you for this one if it if it doesn't work. But uh, Murph, this this you haven't read the Facebook page, have you? I have not. Okay, good. Good. This comes from LaPorte County, Indiana. Okay. Now, LaPorte County has actually got some neat technology. Everybody arrested has to have a body scan before being released into the jail. The scanning device, you know, it produces images, you know, like if you're concealing stuff. It's like what Customs and Border Patrol and other folks would do. This is already sounding bad. Oh, what do you think they found? <laughs> hey, after that one we had on not long ago, <laughs> a tractor trailer, I don't know. Uh, no, well, so... Um, the body scanner was purchased in 2017 for about $100,000 in response to drugs finding their way into the jail. And one of the ways they found them, people would secrete them in their oral or, you know, their uh, anal cavity and mm-hmm. maybe some other ones, right, or swallow them. And so it's been proven time and time again to prevent foreign material from making their way into the jail and ultimately ensuring the safety and security of all, but not just the inmates, but also the staff. That's what the sheriff said. So they did a body scan. A object was oh. detected, Murph. Oh, and confirmed during a second scan, it was a pair of scissors. Ooh. Eight inches long. Oh. And, and up where? <laughs> up the rectum. Oh, my God. No, rectum damn near killed him with eight inches of scissors up there. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, know, I mean, we've heard about we've heard about prisoners in prison hiding shanks up their butts and things like that. I'm thinking, how do you do that and not hurt yourself? But scissors. <laughs> I guess they wanted to cut their own well, hair while they were Here's my jail. point. You're about to be arrested. Do you run into the bathroom and shove a pair of scissors there? Are you walking around with them the whole time? We've got to investigate this and find out because the sheriff said, uh, Alan said the motive for concealing the scissors in that manner remains under investigation. The name of the offender was not released. Wow. I, I, it just boggles your mind. I mean, how could you even sit down without stabbing yourself? You know I mean? Think ouch, about it. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, I decided to pick on Indiana, Murph, so I got another one for you. Okay. Kokomo, Indiana. Kokomo. A man walked into a village pantry with the intent to rob. He wanted the clerk to put cigarettes and money into a bag. When the clerk obeyed the man, the man crammed the gun back into the waist of his pocket and Shot the gun himself. discharged. <laughs> Shot himself. <laughs> Whoa, but it got his it got his left leg and his right testicle. Oh, no. Oh, God. Speaking of ouch, ouch. Oh, that's that's worse than the scissors. <laughs> oh, that hurt, that one hurts. Oh, oh, and Murph. Finally, Ohio County, Michigan. A man, Ohio County, Indiana. I'm sorry, Ohio County, Indiana. Again, our third story from Indiana. A man is facing multiple felony charges after he was caught trying to steal. Ohio County is population five thousand nine hundred and forty. Salute. Salute. Guess what? County is only that. Wow. Yeah, deputies say surveillance video shows Jack Steele Jr., 38, breaking into the building around 6.40 a.m. He rummaged around the office for nine minutes, stealing a jump pack starter for vehicle batteries, a digital camera, a flashlight, and several other items. Guess what, Murph? What? He had been brought into another area of the sheriff's office building after a DUI investigated, and he was told to wait in the foyer for a ride. Instead, what did he do? While he's in the frickin' sheriff's office, he breaks into the sheriff's office and steals this shit. I mean, this man, he shouldn't be arrested. He should be taken to a mental institution and Oh, combined. my gosh. <laughs> you know what? We got to get a hold of Todd McComas from up there. <laughs> Former Indiana State Trooper. That's right. Guest on episode 81. What the hell, Tom? What, Todd, what's going on up there? Well, and they got the video camera when the ride arrived. Steele was trying to seem to wipe his fingerprints off the counters before leaving. According to the sheriff, this has to rank up there as one of the world's dumbest criminals. If anybody's from the show World's Dumbest is watching and needs a video for the criminals, I'd be more than happy to provide them one now. The search warrants led deputies to Steele's home, and of all of the missing items were recovered. All of them were. However, deputies are still looking for him. If you know Steele, tell him to make it easy on himself and report to the Ohio County Sheriff's Office to turn himself in. <laughs> and the news release ends with, he knows where we're located. <laughs> oh, you know, that's what you got to love about sheriffs. They're elected officials. They say what's on their mind. As we found out with Mike Chapman. Absolutely. Love the guy. I mean, just fantastic <laughs> job. He's up for re-election again. I'm 
certainly would love to vote for him if I still Well, I'm, I'm in Loudoun County, I can tell you. Uh, I've seen the Democratic challenger and stuff. And again, we're, we're not folks. We actually had somebody said we wish, uh, we had a guy say uh, on the Facebook page about being more political, maybe doing a separate podcast. We try and keep it here, but I can just tell you, regardless of how you vote, it's going to be very difficult to displace an incumbent sheriff who's got the record he's got with the crime rate where it's at and the services that are provided. I mean, usually you do change when there's a problem. Uh, this guy is recognized for all the kinds of – he just was elected by the National Sheriff's Association as Sheriff of the Year for the whole country. I mean, be, Mike's a good man. He's a good man. Going to be tough. Well, speaking of a good man, you brought us another good man, Murph. Mm -hmm. Another good man by the name of Alex Dominguez. And I'll tell you what, the dude's a crack-up. <laughs> Alex is one of the funniest people I ever met in my life. I'm not kidding you. We were agents together, um, uh, and you'll, you'll hear his story. He's Cuban-American. A uh, very big man physically, just has a, a personality that I don't know that he intends to be funny. He just is. <clears throat> we were both special agents, uh, assistant special agents, charged in special operations division. And when Derek Maltz was our boss, we'd go in and he'd bring, I think we had like 15 ASACs at the time from all the different agencies. And by the time you left there, one of these meetings, he had Derek so flustered, he shut up, believe it or not. <laughs> And we all had tears running down our cheeks from laughing so hard. Alex is just, he's hilarious. He's had a fantastic career. He's very conscientious. He's extremely intelligent. Uh, I really think you guys are going to like this, this episode. Well, and I'll tell you what we had to do, too. In the second part of the episode, part two, you're going to hear some areas when we get start getting into talking about the operation down at the Dominican Republic. Um, after we recorded this, uh, Alex came back and said, hey, actually, one of the guys I talked about... Um, is now actually a senior government official. And so he was very sensitive about releasing the man's name. So mm -hmm. you're going to hear kind of a couple hiccups, you know, mm -hmm. there where I had to cut. It, it was difficult because when you got conversations, it's hard to cut out just a name. And rather than doing a bleep, which would have just, I think, be annoying, you know, so-and-so beep, you know, I just, uh, I, I did some creative editing. But um, so apologies for the kind of the hiccupy part towards the last end of part two, but you'll get the story though. But Murph, there's only one way they're going to hear the hiccups and attempt to figure out who we're talking about. And that's got to ask you, I, that's, I got to, I have to ask you one question. Are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous and testicle friendly, uh, scissor friendly game of all? The yes, sir, brother. So everybody get in, sit down, shut up and hold on. <laughs> you might want to get a tissue because you might have a few tears running down your cheeks here from, from laughing so hard. Let's hear from Mr. Alex Dominguez. So when I say, say hello to my little friend, that's going to have some meaning in this episode because we got a guy. I mean, this guy could have been Scarface, but instead he chose DEA. So we're going to get into this a little bit. So Alex Dominguez, a Cuban-American, fled from Cuba. Welcome to Game of Crimes, amigo. Bienvenidos. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That's how I, that's how somebody from Kansas speaks Spanish. Is that, is that how it is? Well, spend, me yeah. Espanol is perfecto, amigo. It's perfecto. It's on par with Al Pacino. I, I, the first times I heard him, I, I was that's pretty bad. But then it grew on me. It really grew on me. I don't know why, but it was bad when he started, and I thought this ain't going to work. But damn, if he didn't hit it out of the park. And you thought you thought my hillbilly Spanish was bad just because I uh, say hola, y'all. <laughs> I was just sure. in Miami for a conference speaking at it, and the guy who was our moderator was a Cuban American. Sure, and uh, it was so funny because we're joking around, and he sounded like he goes, he looks at me, goes, "Are you talking to me? Are you <laughs> talking to me?" <laughs> it's like I'm uh, talking to you. That's right, yeah, you know, yeah. so, Senor. Oh God! Well, yeah. Alex, we were having fun in the pre-call. You got a lot of stories. I finally had to stop it because it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, Steve, yeah. let's do sure. the podcast. We got to uh, fix stuff. No. So, yeah, part of the interesting part. As I was saying, it reminds us of, of an episode we had with Jack Garcia, FBI. Right, yeah. Um, you know him. He came from Cuba. Sure. So let's yeah. let's talk about you. How did yeah. how the hell first of all, let's talk about your story, then we'll talk about how you got into Colson Ostra, thing of ours. But sure. Tell us sure. about growing up. Were you in Cuba as a young boy? I, I actually was born in nineteen sixty. So I was there for roughly uh not barely a year. Uh, did a little wayward stop uh, getting out. It was tough for my dad. We were in Spain for a couple of years and then um, did the many, many Cubans had to make a, a required stop in Union City, New Jersey. 
back in the, yeah, yeah. If you go to Union City, New Jersey, back in the 60s, there were some of the original, uh, you know, Cuban Americans. And there was okay. a, a, yeah, yeah, it was a story in my family, actually. Uh, I probably believe was that my mother said to my dad, you've got four months. If you don't move us from here, I am leaving you uh, <laughs> here and I'm taking the kids. Because back then, Union City was not, uh, you know, exactly. Well, so how, how old were you when you left Cuba? I was barely a year old, barely a okay. year old. And then we, we ended up resettling uh, sort of in Miami, you know, like I say, Mecca for wayward Cubans uh, um, uh, well, when I was well, about four. I'm four years so old. So back it. in your family history, when you're talking to your dad and mom, why did they leave Cuba? What was going on at the time that, number one, allowed them to get out? Yeah, it it, it was uh, the, it was that whole, essentially, the way I've, from the readings and, and of course, the, the speaking of family members, it was about a two-year period where when the Castro Revolution sort of takes ground and there were still a fair amount of people that believed, hey, you know, this is not going to be that bad. The previous guy was a, a guy called uh, Flugencio Batista, which was not really very well liked. Uh, and this whole experiment. And then it started to go downhill as far as the, the Castro regime. You'll hear that a lot from Cuban-Americans. And it was just, um, you know, a, a, a communism uh in a way that was uh, developing itself. But specifically, my grandfather, who was still there relatively young, uh, for all intents and purposes, he was in his, what was I don't think he was 50 yet. He was in the military. So they had um, basically put out an order that we luckily found out through a family member um, that they were going to give him the wall, is what it was called. You'll hear this from Cubans. It's called Paredon which means the wall. And basically it's that they'll have a, a trial, uh, you know, in the morning and the, uh, you know, sentences carried out in the afternoon and, they, and people were being in, in town summarily lined up. And my grandfather didn't want to leave. We're a couple of people were saying, we have some documents you've got to get out because they're going to kill you. And he says, I haven't done anything wrong. I've not done anything wrong. Still believe in that. So that sort of was the genesis of, the the need to leave that people were being just sort of arbitrarily being picked out by neighbors and even sadly in some cases family members for being you know a sympathizer of the previous regime so that's what sort of led that initial uh, outflow of of and like my parents I I still remember and like I said I I you know we're going to keep this fun I I'll I still sometimes struggle with it you know my dad rolled up what was a fortune at the time with was about thirty dollars in rolled up in a cigarette pack they were rolled up as cigarettes and he had them in his coat pocket that was because when you left they basically said, you're not taking anything except that shirt on your back. Anything you had in your hand was, was, was summarily taken. So including pets, if you had a little pet, you know, so it was, it was a rough oh, time. No, no, that's yeah. that's yeah. it for me. They take my pets. Yeah. It's on, it's on. Well, you know, it's funny. This was, yeah, yeah, this was, yeah, this was one of those specific stories that when my mother had to leave, she had me in one arm and had this little family dog in the other. And, uh, and um, and I forget what. Oh, oh, it was a blanket for me. She had me that I was one year old with a blanket and the dog in the other arm or some something along those lines. And that the 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 outgoing official said, you have to pick. It's either the blanket or the dog. And she says, you know what? And she said, here, take the blanket. My son doesn't need the blanket. You know, he thought he'd give her the dog, you know, figuring the boy. But again, uh, look, uh, you know, you've probably spoken to other uh, people that have emigrated under circumstances from other countries. It's not always pretty, but, um, Very you few know, that, was, that was it. Hmm? You're, the, you're only the second person we've talked uh, that's come from Cuba. And that's okay. uh, now, did you lose did yeah. you lose any family? Yes, yes, we had uh, uh, one uncle that was uh, imprisoned, uh, and uh, he ended up uh, eventually getting out. Uh, we didn't lose him. I would say we probably lost him because he was never the same. He he, he was in a prison there for about seven, eight years, and uh, he ends up living in Spain. You know, he just never got it together. So yeah, it, it was the psychological torture, as you know, with the with this was uh, as bad. And and then you know, being a young guy in Miami, I had 
some some relatives and friends. I didn't realize it at the time. They became part of that Bay of Pigs invasion where the CIA put together this paramilitary force. And there are some in, incredible stories in there, just some brief ones, you know. Um, there was, a, there was a, and I'll mention this quickly, there was an anecdotal thing, which probably is not that, the, there was an attempt to basically call it back, and there was a couple of CIA guys leading all these, you know, Cubans that were young and trained. Many of them former military. Some of them, as we all know, later got employed, you know, for by Richard Nixon uh, and 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 so forth. But you know, they said let's let's stop this thing, and these guys said if I turn these ships around you know, to, to see if uh, we're not going to invade the Bay of Pigs, we're going to have a bloodshed, we're going to have bloodshed. And the rest was kind of history. You know, the famous air cover never came. Never and then came. it was a bloodbath. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I'm not here to judge, to be honest. Uh, it was, uh, um, you know, but between us, uh, again, we, I said, we don't talk, I don't want to talk about any politics, but if you talk to any old Cuban, right, this is, I heard it several times, they would mention Kennedy, and the poor guy, the next words out of people's mouths were, que pendejo. You know what I mean? That was always for some reason. Esa Kennedy, que pendejo. You yeah. know, and again, it wasn't fair. I don't know what the guy was going through. And maybe he should have sent the air cover, you know, whatever. And so, that's why I said history. I mean, it's uh, during that same time, you and I are born about the same time. My dad was military. We were growing up in Iran. Wow. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, three years there during the days of the Shah. And it's just so different. Sure. Then. You know, it, it's fun, though, being kind of a part of history and coming from Cuba, you know, and going to New Jersey. Talk about having an accent. How do you have a Cuban New Jersey accent? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I was actually one of the things that was interesting. I, I was going to say kind of like Steve did. Um I ended up learning Spanish and English simultaneously. I, I People ask, well, what'd you learn first? I don't distinctly remember. I do remember being around three or four. It's interesting. I always tell my wife, I don't remember stuff from last week, but there's little things that I remember going to my first class in Union City and hearing myself having to talk in English, being terrified. And I was like in kindergarten or first grade, and I had this like accent. I could hear it in my ear like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Buenas tardes, uh, yo quiero, uh, you know, uh, you know. You sound and, like uh, Murph now. Buenas yeah, tardes, yeah, there, yeah, you Buenas tardes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, so, teacher, yo, I don't, I don't speak English, my teacher, and 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 I was like uh, terrified. But I, I just remember speaking both languages. You know, like a lot of us probably did. Cartoons was a big, big teacher at oh, the yeah. time before tablets. I kind of see. So, I, what I started out with was redneck, then hillbilly, then Spanish. So, <laughs> you add all that together, you get what you get. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so it's growing up, so where did you do most of your formative years, as they say, as a youth? Were you in New, were you in New Jersey? No, How long were you there? No, you man. no I, we end up settling in Miami uh, when I'm around four, and that's it. It's 90 miles from the homeland, and, you know, like I, 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 I still, we still joke about it. We were told for years, we're going back next Christmas. We'll be back because this ain't going to happen. The, and, and I look, it was said, I, I, I'll say this to you now. We, um, um, I distinctly remember this, and I, I feel it's important to say, hearing this all the time, they would use the word around the table, gringos, but it was always affectionately. We were told, hey, Whenever you're out there, whatever you're doing, do whatever the gringo does. Aprende de esta gente. Learn from these people. These are good people. And and it was always this. There was never a, a, a you'd get smacked in the head if you would have ever said anything negative. And it was truly, and I'm not, again, making any kind of statement toward others, but there was a tremendous appreciation for this country and all I had met. And, and of course, there were all the oddities. Like, you know, in South Florida, you know, it was not uncommon for kids to be without shoes. It's summertime. You're out in the grass. What the hell? I, I ended up doing it. But the first time my grandparents saw, like, you know, like gringos without shoes, they're saying they were like, it was like aliens. And we were like, we want to be out in the yard without shoes, you know, and, and puddles. 
which is, hey, let's be honest. Today, if the kids tried to do that today, imagine our grandkids with puddles. That our, our, our kids would tell us we're nuts. If we said, why don't you let them run in puddles barefooted like we did? Yeah. What? Uh, you you know? know, yeah, that's the whole thing, man. <laughs> we survived. Our generation yeah. survived the hot wheels, you know, and ju- bikes with no shock. Of, you know, no helmets or anything. I mean, my we God, to, no bubble wrap. We used yeah. to ride around. When I was in Tennessee, we used to ride around the mosquito trucks at nighttime on our bikes in that cloud of mist coming out, you know? Now, that starts to explain a lot, Murph. <laughs> long-term long-term brain damage. That could be uh, one of the effects. What, what, what do you what, mean? What? Hey, so, so, but, so growing up in Miami, so I take it then you stayed there through high school uh, in For, Miami? Yeah, went to high school. I went to, I went to parochial school with the nuns, and I did get you know, smacked around every so often. It was, uh, what, what happened at that time, uh, uh, the archdiocese of Miami, for whatever reason, had a very robust, um, sort of educational setup. So, uh, while, while a lot of parishes, you know, have schools, it was a lot more, uh, commonplace. I would say there were no less than like 15 or 18, like, uh, K through eight grades, let's say. So I went to the one in my neighborhood, blessed Trinity. And, and, um, there were nuns, a lot of nuns were teachers. And, and I grew up in a kind of very, um, you know, by, it was truly bicultural, you know, uh, and, 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 um, you know, we were always kind of complaining when we would do Thanksgiving. For example, we would say, yeah, we can have the turkey, but why are we having the black beans and rice? Why, why, why are we not having the other stuff? And then our parents, you know, my grandfather seriously would give you this look of like, listen, uh, we'll play along with this turkey thing, but the black beans and rice steak, it, and don't even <laughs> mention it again with a look of like, I will smack you if you ever say we're not going to have a, so yeah, for years, you know, we're like, where's the mashed potatoes? Where are the greens? You know, and we're like, shit, no, you're getting black beans and rice. And if, and I'll be honest, man, who the hell doesn't like black beans, rice and plantains Absolutely. and plantains. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. And put some yucca in there with it. Man. You got a meal right there. So no, but listen, in, in retrospect, like I said, you know, there was a lot of hardships on the elders. Truth be be told, you, you didn't reala- realize it as a kid, but they adapted. And I really do think, and, and again, this is just an opinion, but it was embracing, you know, the American culture. And, and I try to think back how hard that must have been to be proud of who you are, but embrace the people that are giving you an opportunity. And 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 I'll tell you another thing is, is you were told at the table is is because that was another thing is you sat everybody sat at the table and it was don't embarrass us in front of the gringos do not I don't want to hear that something went wrong and again I'll repeat it gringos was meant affectionately okay it was I, I, uh, I it really was gringos and I don't I don't use it as yeah. a derogatory term it's nah, just everybody sometimes I like to clarify because I think some people might use it. You know, eh, yeah, you know. Well, I mean, with no. Murphy, it was more like the Gringo is local. You know, people get that. Yeah, <laughs> it still is. So don't piss him off. Still is. It's that now. Now the mosquito, the following the mosquito truck. It's starting to all come together now. So, <laughs> so what? What? So, um, what was the expectation, um, like after high school and stuff? Because probably not the same kind of opportunities in Cuba that you had in Miami. So, right. What? What? What kind of expectations did your parent have? for you growing up and brothers, sisters, would you have? Yeah, I had a, I had a, I was the eldest and I had a younger brother and sister. And, uh, I, I'll tell you, uh, again, there were probably a lot of hardships, but I had about as normal, uh, as an upbringing as you can be truly bicultural. Uh, and then I go to the university of Miami and I get a degree in finance. And well, that, wait a minute. You went to, you went to the U you went to uh, Miami. I, I am a hurricane. There you go, uh, man. Here I He's am, got the Ron. emblem. Yeah, there, there it is. There it is. There uh, it is. This is the emblem I give Morgan, but our, <laughs> I, you know, I can imagine. Being, being a Notre Dame guy, uh, oh, I remember. Oh, I remember, them, oh yeah. I remember the great series Catholics versus yes, Convicts. Yeah. Listen, that was, tell me that wasn't great, great theater, man. <laughs> that, that was great theater. That was you great know, theater, man. That was great know, stuff. Well, the, oh, the old joke was, why can't Miami play in a bowl game? Because they can't fit their prison numbers the, on the numbers back of the uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, have you seen those uh, those things? The, the the he's a local Miami kid, Billy Corbin. He's done a couple of these like um, thirty for thirties for ESPN on that that whole thing. Yeah, I've seen it, a couple of those. Yeah, listen, the, if if it you're would. if you're a Notre Dame fan, you got to look those. Those are awesome. 
Well, and let me tell you that that rivalry was it was like it, it was probably I don't want to say one of the nastiest, but it was close to one of the nastiest it, it, rivalries it, it, it got to be. It not in keeping with the way you know college football ought to be. But so all right, so you were a wayward youth. You went to the U, but how the hell did you end up in finance and baking and stuff? I mean, what possessed you to go that route? Well, um, again, my 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 father being a very practical guy. Um, I, I, look, unlike kids today, I I was lucky that I just got into to college. I, uh, I I truth be told had no idea what I wanted to study, and my dad said you should get a degree in business, just something in business. Don't don't come back here and become uh, a history major or something like that. Underwater you know? basket weaving, you know, hey, with a minor in. You you know. Know. <laughs> so so I, I just get a degree in finance, not because I'm that bright, I thought, but I thought this, this is practical. And in fact, truth is, I enjoyed it. And uh, there was an interesting part in the in-between is I mentioned to my mom at one point that I thought I wanted to actually join the Navy. And that was true. I'd gotten the paperwork and all that. And she said, you're not joining the Navy till after college. She she actually outright refused to let me. And then, um, of course, back then, I, I'm probably still terrified to say no. So, so I get my degree in finance. And then, you know, back then, what was happening is Miami is growing uh, from a financial perspective, uh, exponentially, we all know there was a fair amount of, uh, of of funny money and all of that. But the the reality is there was a ton of legitimate money from South America. More than anything, just they were fleeing insecurity. A lot of these countries were expropriating monies of wealthy people. You know, there were still you know between some of the former communist governments that 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 were down there, or even some dictatorships that were still in in Brazil and in in Chile and in Argentina. So you know, if you were a, a local South American, you parked your money in South Florida. So the world ends up coming to bank in South Florida. And of course the funny money gets, gets mixed in there, but it was a lot of legitimate money. So banks are popping up everywhere and I get a job at one. Let's yeah. stop there for a second. Ask sure. you a question. So going up through college, um, I mean, we're starting to get into the heyday of the cocaine wars, you know, the trade and everything going on. Did you have any exposure to it at that time? Did it, did any of that come across while you were in college? Um, you know, seeing any of the quote gangsters or anything like that? The, I, Absolutely, uh, and I'm and to give it a perspective. And again, there's probably uh, you know people like even my my kids uh, who are who are not that 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 young. But imagine they're thinking what I'm talking about is something during like the Eisenhower administration. But it's not, man. I'm talking like 1980, 81, 82, 83, and you would go and being a local kid, you'd go to like a club somewhere or to a bar, and you saw those those types of scenes of like an entourage these you know tony montana guys like you mentioned they they existed they would roll in there and they'd have these big beefy bodyguards and they'd have a champagne table and of course my friends and i were there milking the you know the two dollar bottle of draft or whatever and and you would see these guys so they they were around um no no doubt but the whole explosion didn't happen but the, there were two game changers and later you can, uh, I can t- tell you is, is the Mariel boat lift in 1981 creates this thing. And I will tell you, I went as a volunteer. I was a kid. My parents said, Hey, they need someone that can speak Spanish and English. So I go down to the keys where they have this like processing center. And I spent like a couple of days there. Again, I'm all of like 20 years old. As these people are being brought off boats by by customs and and whatnot, and they needed people to interview them, and I'm telling you guys, I saw men there that I'd never seen before. That was, and I remember at what the you, end of what the do you day, mean by that, man? These were hard hard dudes. These were not like just people coming for a better life. And again, I put it in perspective, I'm 20 years old, so I, I'm not like a world traveler. But I go home that night and I tell my parents. Hey, this is really strange. I'd seen guys, I told them, I, they had like tattoos on their hands. I'd never seen tattoos on arms and shit, barely. I, the only people were a couple of like army guys that were in my family that had a little tattoo, but these guys had these strange things. And you know, we've all seen it with our work. 
guys had had that 30 yard stare. They were like mm-hmm. looking right through me and, uh, and they would, well, that was Castro's master plan. Why, why should he deal with all the criminals? He can package a lot of these folks up and ship them to the U S and make them our problem. Be- and and there, there was the, 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 the mixture of not only just the bad guys, there were sadly a lot of crazy guys. The mentally ill. Yeah, very sad. Very yeah. sad. Yeah. No, and, yeah. But, but the, again, it goes back to that point. One of our challenges even right now in law enforcement is dealing with the mentally ill sure. and the amount of time and resources it takes. But yeah, that's – so you were down there in the Keys, man. That's cool. So yeah, yeah. And, and we and, – and big – I mean hundreds of these guys and it didn't seem right. Uh, and again, I, I, I'm just there trying to do my, my duty as a citizen. Um, you know, there's, we can sit here for days and there's a lot of good politics, not politics, you know, history, uh, revision and, and, and 2020 being hindsight. Should we have handled it the way we did? Probably not. But it was what we know. Nobody would have thought that. Everybody thought it was going to be like the Cubans thought. It'll be, you know, Tia Maria and, and Uncle, you know, Pedro were going to be put on a boat and then we'd be reunited and, and all would be fine. And then they started to say, okay, you want, you want your grandmother to come? Here you go. And they would stick these dudes in scary guys. Some of them were really scary. It scared me. Mm. When you so when you were running around Miami, did you ever frequent a place called the hotel mutiny? Yeah, I did not. For two reasons, two reasons. One, First I could not. I want to put it on the record. You should have seen the look of recognition on his face when Merck yeah. said that. The yeah. eyes go, oh, yeah, I've yeah, heard of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, If I, if I probably, uh, oh. so the answer is I, I didn't go. I knew exactly where it was. I'd go down the street to some of the other cheaper joints. One, because I couldn't afford it, to be honest. I was in college and I was, uh, and it's where the big dogs were. That's where, that was ground zero for uh, Willie Falcone, Sal Magluta, before they were who they were, the boys, as they were called. And and uh, I actually saw them a couple of times in town. I actually did. I, I didn't realize it at that time. Um, at a place called Monty Trainers, I remember seeing one of those, yeah, one of those scenes. And uh, I was with a, guy who goes you know who that is and i'm like who's that he goes that's willie falcone and like this was before he was really famous and and i'm like well who the hell is willie falcone i'm just a kid to be honest trying to find a when i'm just racing i was just trying to have a beer a conch fritter uh and and a maybe a nice you know gal to 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 you know hang out with and you know but these were these were guys that were in another level well, the reason I asked that is the is uh, the showrunner for season one of Narcos is a guy named Chris Brancato who's has gone on to be, become a pretty good producer, and he's producing a new movie called Hotel Cocaine. They're actually trying to film now, but with the writer strike, it's it's causing a little bit of issues. Oh, but it's going to be called Hotel Cocaine, and it's based on the Hotel Mutiny. There you go. Yeah. And one of the the guy that ran it, um, last name is Compte. I can't remember his first name now. Roman Roman Compte. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so really, uh, yeah, yeah. So around that time, I, I, I end up um, graduating from college. I, I'll, I'll say this here. This is a uh, uh, the, the one uh, thing I was always proud of. I graduated after three years instead of four. So I'm, I'm all of like. So did Murph, but that was yeah. third grade. I'm sorry. I'm on a roll this morning. No, the, uh, well, I mean, you look at kids nowadays, it's taken yeah. them five years to get that four year degree. Yeah. 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 And you know what? It, to, it, it, it wasn't so much. It was a different time, man. I didn't have, but like a couple of nickels in my pocket and my parents, like I said, I never skipped a meal. Um, you know, I probably had the same shirt on a couple of days in a row. Uh, I had really long hair at the time. I was blessed with a full head of hair. I had a couple of good buddies that, you know, they were like already kind of premature balding. And back in that era, if you remember with mullets and stuff, it, I oh, felt yeah. so bad. If you were bald, man, you, you were, you were out of gas. <laughs> you were out of gas because there was nothing you could do. And I had this head of hair as ugly as I was. I had a lot of hair. So that always made up for it. There you <laughs> go. Look at that. Oh, Damn. Yeah, that's man. a good one. Steve, wish, you can't do that. that. that you that. can't do what he just did, Morgan. Damn. When you and I were in Miami there in the late 80s working with DEA, everybody had the mullet back then, man. Yeah. yeah the, the, well, Chris Feistel. We, we've got the pictures oh, of Chris Feistel, man, with that hair down to the crack of his eye. He was the oh, Don Johnson. He didn't do the mullet route. He did the Don Johnson thing full time. Yeah. 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 Listen, I, I, uh, I, uh, what do you call it? Knew Chris very well and uh, spent a lot of time with him. 
And uh, I, I, I'm telling you, I'd never seen anything like that. <laughs> and I'd go out with him once in a while. And uh, and it was tough, man, because I was married and shit. And, but God damn, it would be like flies on that dude. And, yeah. and it was bad. Yeah. And, and and he was he had that whole dude thing going. And, you know, he'd walk into a place and you see like, yeah. they'd all just like Pick start magnet. swarming around. And anyone like us, we'd just sit there stirring your drink and saying, geez. I'll, you be, know. I'll be a good wingman. But before we get oh, down that far, we'll, have to, we'll do a couple of Chris stories. Let's talk about your banking. Um you know what I'm interested in? You go into this, you know, you, you talk about going into the bank. You said Doral Bank? No, it was actually called Lavoro Bank International. It was the largest Italian bank uh, in Italy. It was the biggest Italian bank, and they had a branch in Miami, Lavoro Bank International. So Down on Brickle. Down on Brickle. Brickle. So let me ask you, during this time, you know, obviously money laundering is a huge issue. Number one, did you ever know the name or run into a guy named Kenneth Rijok? I don't, doesn't ring a bell. No. So we had him on an episode. I can't remember. It was like 11 or 12 or something like that. He was the first bulk cash money launderer. He was operating during that time out of Miami. He was going down uh, to the islands, taking money, doing a lot of work for stuff. But the reason I ask you that is kind of get back into this. It wasn't really recognized at that point, but looking back on it now, did you see any kind of money laundering going on through the bank or attempts to do that? The attempts were were there absolutely and again this is going to sound like um you know like uh, self-serving but it was the truth the bank was run by a really squared away guy a very squared away italian american guy and um he made it clear to everybody uh and again i repeat i'm a young guy and this thing was growing we'd had a couple of customers that had come in and um, you can kind of generally tell by the profile of their business that they had and what they really wanted, and we didn't do it. Um, that being said, it was still at the time where, you know, FinCEN didn't exist. FinCEN didn't exist, and those laws and weren't so we clear. Have, uh, it was just starting. I, I should have told you one rule we have. You got to define acronyms. So you say FinCEN, let people know what it is. Oh, FinCEN is the the financial intelligence um, financial crimes enforcement financial crimes enforcement. Um, help yep. me out here, Steve. Yeah, Finan- FinCEN. Uh, financial enforcement. I, yep. I've only been using their databases for twenty years, and mm-hmm. I can't remember. Fin- See, that's the thing, and we get so addicted to acronyms. What the hell does it stand for? I don't know, but I know what it does. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, no, uh, I, 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 I ran plenty of those uh, queries, uh, but but financial yeah. crime uh, enforcement network. There you go. But no, there was still the the I, I forget the numbers now. Uh, there but weren't really you, any mon- anti money anti anti money laundering laws either. There was no AML stuff. I mean, this this was all kind of new at the time. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. So so it was just starting, and um, you know I didn't get involved in it. But in fact, the way the way it 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 it, it ended up developing is that. I end up being asked if I want to represent the bank at the U.S. Attorney's Office with some little financial task force that was very, very, uh, you know, uh, almost non-existent. It was starting, and and I that's when I sort of got the bug a little bit, you know, and um, and from there it 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 can. And I still kind of trying to remember what about a uh, hundred dollar bills or something weighs. Weighs about twenty something pounds. A million dollars in hundreds would weigh about twenty pounds. And back then, it was still money was weighed, and it was never counted. It was weighed. Wow! So that's interesting too. We had George uh, George Jung on. Yeah. Oh, you know, Pop, you know, Pablo's yep. business partner, sure. and, stuff. and that's sure. he. He knew. He. I mean, to his his encyclopedic knowledge, he could tell you how many bills it would be. You know how much it weighed. You know, it's just just down to the ounce. Mm-hmm. Your point, there's no way to count, you know, $5 million, $10 million, but yep. Yep. so that yep. you could, you could probably, you know, um, take, you know, a couple hundred off the top. Nobody's going to notice, but when big money starts missing, ounces mean something when it doesn't weigh exactly what it should. Oh yeah. Somebody get killed over that. So, well, you kind of, you kind of set the stage then for how you got the bug. So how did you end up? What did this task force do to you to say, and number one, number two, don't tell me you watched Miami Vice and said, I want to be Don Johnson. No, I didn't. No, I, I, that, 
That came later, uh, and I'll and I'll, I'll I'll tell you about that later. No, I I didn't. It, what, you know what it what it ultimately did it for me is is again I graduate young. I'm sitting in on Brickell Avenue. It's on the 17th floor. It's like marble floors. I even had a little office, and it was all these older people. People, when I say older, they were like probably in their 30s and 40s with families. And again, I, I had more testosterone than I had sense. So, you know, I, I, I was just like enjoying being at the bank. But, you know, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal. Um, and there's a DEA agent who's retired now. His name is Tom Pascarello. Oh, yeah. And there is a photo on in the Wall Street Journal of like four or five banker financial types being perp walked by you know a guy with a one of the the, the ray jackets and f- i will tell you my wife has heard this my kids heard it. i read that article and i said that's the shit i want to do yeah. And, and, yeah. yeah and and you know look i i was too young to picture i can make a lot of money becoming a banker i'm bilingual and this is a pretty cool place and a lot of pretty muchachitas and really cool drinking illy coffee and and no it was i'm not gonna lie to you it was a so the yeah, but you know, dea's got marble floors all over the place sure, in your own sure, offices sure, and yeah. you know gold fixtures in the bathrooms right? yeah my first oh, yeah. day reminded me of that and I, i've steve has heard the story a couple of times but i'll i'll tell you so so i put in i i, I literally call like 1-800-DEA and back then of course you get come on down here and pick up the forms and i go down and i pick up the form. i come from no background in law enforcement i don't know anybody in law enforcement when i mentioned this to my parents You'd have thought like that I'd like truly just like stuck them in a closet and farted or something because they went like this. They scrunched their face like you want to what? I said, yeah, I think I want to join. I want to join like federal uh, law enforcement and I want to be an agent, an agent. They're like, what do you mean? agent? You're a banker. You got a good job in the bank. You know, it was like that. And, And I'm serious. They thought, no, 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 no. That's not very smart. So this thing goes on for like a year and a half. And then they finally call me, uh, and 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 they it was really kind of screwy because it, the typical you know I come to realize it. they called me on a Friday and they said, "Do you think you can be in Quantico next Wednesday?" And I'm like, uh, "I really, really want to go. I really want to do this, but no, I can't. I can't just be there in four days. I owe these people a couple of weeks. Bottom line is, they gave me a month, and then I was off to basic agent training. What, what year? What class number were you? Um, I was actually class number fifty-five. Yeah, so I was 53. We were there at the same time. There at the same time. There were five classes going on at that time. Yeah. It was a mess, remember? Oh, it yeah. was a mess. You <laughs> know. Where'd you go uh, to, for your police training initially, Morgan? Where'd you go? Uh, I was state of Kansas, so I went through what we called Yoder U. <laughs> Yo, little, Yoder? What, what's Yoder? The little, uh, the little town called Yoder outside Hutchison, Kansas, which is the Kansas Law Enforcement Training Center. So my first academy was 1982 is when I went through my first academy. Then I went through the State Patrol Academy, which was five times longer than the right. first time I went through was only five weeks long. But the reason we called it Yoder U, a little town called Yoder, the Mennonites, you know, an offshoot of the Amish, they cooked our food. One of the few places when I went through the military and basic training, you lost weight. There you gained weight because of the way they fit you. It was like, oh, my God, this food's so good, you know. Nice. Yeah, you can't say that about the DEA Academy. <laughs> have you have you been to Quantico, uh, Morgan? Uh, oh, for yeah. any, like you've been there? Well, we used to call it baked lunga fish. You know, that lunga lake that was back <laughs> oh, there? Yeah. Man, that thing was nasty. That was the only <laughs> The food wasn't bad. I, I Look, I liked my, – my wife says you still like that. I like institutionalized living. I won't lie to you. Even uh, now, late in life, now I like I like program bland, bland food, you know? I had several friends go through the Nash, the FBI National Academy, and, oh, it, God. and even the FBI agent. But you know, they were state and local guys. But the Yellow Brick Road, everybody talked about. Yeah. You know, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Run the Yellow Brick Road. You yeah. know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was fun. So, but hey, question for you: While you're in the academy, you seem like a guy that might have had to write a couple memos. Did you for anything, any infractions that you may have committed? Um, actually, I had one, and I, I really thought it was going to be over. I really, and if you've been to, to the FBI Academy, you remember those like glass, like walkways that they have they around call them the gerbil trails, gerbil the gerbil trails. right, <laughs> yeah. right. My, 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 uh, my, uh, my roommate at the time, um, who is a great guy. It's funny. His dad was an FBI agent. 
his cousin was an FBI agent, and I think it was his uncle or something had been an FBI agent, and he decides he's going to be a DEA agent. Truth be told, Greg, yeah, apparently he said, the hell with this. Bottom line is, is just a to digress about eight years after DEA he's the DEA great kid and uh, he ends up going to the bureau no surprise I guess he figured I'd, I'd screwed with my family enough let me uh let me go over there but he's a little guy and you know what he was this is a true story he was on the U.S. Olympic team in badminton that poor guy <laughs> took abuse because you can imagine <laughs> This is a true story, though. So he was like, man, I wish they would let me out of here because I got to go to training in California for like three weeks. And I, of course, was my roommate, nice guy. And I go, what is it you do? He goes, badminton. And I, of course, (laughs) I didn't know it's an Olympic sport, you know, and the guy was about as fit as hell. Um, But he's a little guy, very fit. So we're goofing off. And he's on my back, and we're kind of, it's a Sunday, typical, the only calm time, Sunday, around 8 o'clock at night, we're heading back to the dorms, we'd had dinner or whatever, and we're goofing off, and he goes flying off my back, he slams into one of those glass plates, and seriously, through he somehow he doesn't get hurt, but the glass plate like falls off and cracks. Ooh. So Ooh. now we're standing talking there. about in the gerbil trail there. Yes, yes, this is a true story. Wait a minute, hold on. Yeah, no, 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 hold yeah. on. We're gonna yeah. have to. We, we have to do a little bit more inquiry in this. He just didn't fall off. I have a feeling he got thrown off. You just don't quote fall off and hit no, one of those no, things. Of course, Come on now. You know, t- again, you, you you're probably a little loopy by then. You 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 haven't seen your wife or your their loved ones, and you're hanging around with these guys. It's Sunday. We're better part of like eight, nine weeks. It was whatever. Yeah. And we're wrestling. He's on my back and I'm like throwing him around and somebody, and he just flies off my back. No, we're wrestling. So he (laughs) slams into it and it collapses. It just falls off and hits the ground and cracks. But that's when you run. Run where you know to Lake Lunga, you know Lunga Lake, and yeah, yeah. Well, we actually was on the hallways back then. Did he go flying out with a glass? No, no. He kind of stayed there, kind of hung, and thank God because he might have got hurt. So you could hear now a pin drop, and then no, you talk about running. All the other people around us, it was he and I standing there by ourselves. So a few moments later, our counselor. comes a DA guy comes up and and I I still to this day I saw him over the years uh, I, I I can never thank him enough to to say hey you know he he wrote it up he wrote it up it's an accident and uh it appeared that that glass was loose and uh you know somebody tripped and we survived it. We survived it. So that was um, only, that through was the creative, only, time. only through creative report writing, right? Well, it was. It was. It, it really was. That's what was. DEA is all about. Creative yeah, report yeah, writing. yeah. So, so <laughs> we 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 survived that. But that was about the only uh, kind of interesting uh, story. So yeah, when you, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, so when you start putting it in your preferences, uh, my, was Miami at your top, or was it just like pretty pretty clear you're going to go to Miami? No, it, 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 it's interesting that you said that because. They've since stopped doing it this way. Maybe it was for you, Steve. What they would do, man, and and is they would, uh, first of all, that was always the stress for all 35 of us. Where are people going to go? And we knew that because they told us, some of you are going to go to New York, some of you are going to go to San Francisco, and some of you are going to go to the border. Just, it's going to be that way. And then, of course, a lot of guys were terrified. So they would do this ceremony. We'd go to to, to Lunga Lake on the bleachers, and there were envelopes. And they would call you up one by one in front of everybody, and then the, the class coordinator would hand you your envelope, and they would say, Morgan, the envelope. And you would see guys literally sweating the tension, and they'd open the damn thing, and that's when you knew where you're going, knowing within seconds you're going to have to probably call your wife, yourself, whatever, and say, we're going to San Francisco, we're going to New York, we're going to El Paso, which El Paso would have been, in retrospect, a good one. There was Del Rio. There were some tough places. And um, two guys cried. I'm not going to lie to you. When I say cried, their eyes welled up. Fuck yeah. Really? You didn't have, oh, hell yeah. One guy, uh, Brian, I won't say his last name, Brian, and his eyes welled up because his wife wasn't going to go with him. And he ended up getting, I think, San Francisco. You know, Damn. So. well, I'd probably cry if I was going now, to San Now they tell you before they hire you where you're going. Yeah. You know, yeah, they and do. you and decide whether you want it. That's the whole but you only had 35 guys in your class? Is that what you started with? 
We ended up, we started with 35 and ended up with 33. We lost uh, just a gal and a guy. Really? Uh, a gal and a guy. We lost Not them. And uh, yeah. Why? You lost more? No, but we, uh, the classes are supposed to be 50. No, yeah, we had 35. But, 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 but you asked Morgan, um, out of the 33, only three people went back home, and I was one. I was one, and I I think that they just said, "Look, you know, you know, calm or or, or actually smarts played in." Somebody said, "Look, dude, this is a Cuban guy. Uh, we're having all these issues in South Florida. He's from Miami. He speaks Spanish. Let's not get cute and send him to Kansas City. Send his ass back home." So I did. I got I got to go back home, but I saw a lot of guys that didn't. GS Evans, you know struggling in in bad places you remember when we got to miami i got there in november 87 which is probably you already you may have already gotten back by then yeah how many cubans or how many spanish-speaking agents did we have in miami just a a couple and it was you know grumpy omar who was in training you know yeah (laughs) remember he was grumpy (laughs) omar yeah oh yeah and there was that other old guy i don't remember his name now he was even grumpy Uh, yeah, he was no one. Um, how was that guy's name? But that was it. And uh, he, man, you're right, man. He was bitchy all the time. Yeah, he didn't want. Yeah. He didn't want to talk to a gringo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh. well, so let let's get into this a little bit then. So you get out. Um, what kind of stuff do they have you doing? You come back down to Miami. So uh, because we're going to talk about a couple cases you brought up. We're going to talk about the heroin smuggling, and then we're going to talk about. Um, the, you have a smuggling case that kind of overlapped with Murph, with Pablo and Colombia and guys like that. But what, when you first started getting out, what was it like for you coming back as a DEA agent? You saw them on the Wall Street Journal article. You go, that's me. I want to be that. That's the shit. And now you're the shit. Uh, you know, I, I got through it all. It's it's my wife was pregnant with my daughter at the time when I was at Quantico. And again, I, I, I had a few friends, uh, you know, including, um, you know, some family members said, good for you. You're let's see here. You were working at a bank in an office where you were making at that time was like 30. Back then, it was like $38,000, which would have probably been the equivalent of like 110000 today for for just some kid. And then I took a job with this government agency where they're going to you know, pimp you out and see if somebody shoots you in the head and that uh, you're making 17000 and you get to work 14 hours a day. That's smart. So you're working your way down the ladder of success. Muy bien. Muy don't bien. don't bien. forget, you get the 25% AUO. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah. That and about three cents would have gotten me, you know. So <laughs> we literally came close to skipping meals because, and I don't mind, you know what? My wife was, it man, you manned up and uh, it made us better people for that. You know, we 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 lived in a small house and, and, and listen, all bullshit aside, uh, if it wasn't the fact that I went back and my parents and grandparents, uh, wasn't there, but, but my learning curve was very acute guys, because what Steve had mentioned here, you now get back to a guy who speaks Spanish is a Cuban and knows the streets and understands the culture. Remember we would move people to places, very bright people, all of us, but if you don't know the culture, man, it's hard. And, uh, so I, I end up getting, you know, used quite a bit, but I, I was all amenable to it by my first day on the job. I don't, I told you it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, what do you, mean your, first, yeah. what'd you, you know, do on your first day on the job? Come on. I, I show up and, uh, the the sack you know you i don't know what that is so i get into the uh elevator and they said you got to go up there and get sworn in i i'm telling you man i was i i was beaming i felt so i go up there i had my creds i had my gun you know on the holster and it's this guy called diogenes galanos about as laid back a guy dodge galanos he was before tom cash so i go in there and he he says welcome aboard and um sit down and uh you know i swear my oath to to the constitution and to the flag and uh i'm ready to go so he goes i just need to let you know and i'm like okay and he goes you're going to these the asset forfeiture group now that didn't mean anything to me at the time so i'm like okay and he goes i and he's looking at a piece of paper and he goes i i see here you are a banker uh, I see here you have a degree in finance. As you know, young man, we have a big need for this kind of skill set. So I think it's best that you go to the asset forfeiture group. 
I, of course, okay, I don't know anything. They tell me, go to the second floor, go down the hall, and there's a lady there, go talk to her. Like Jimmy Soilis would say, hand to God. <laughs> I stand in front of her with my Giorgio, you know, Brutini shoes. I got my, seriously, a little leather briefcase that's got my initials on it, like gold-plated little initials. And I, I got like, what was, I think it was like a $26 silk tie. And I'm standing in front of her and she looks up. She's like looking at her desk and she was going to say, who the fuck are you? But she she goes, who the who are you? She was, and I go, I'm, I'm the new agent. My name's Alex Dominguez. I'm assigned here to the, as a first, she goes, new agent. And she then makes a beeline into the boss's office, closes the door. I can hear her saying, who the hell is this guy? We got no room. We got no, no where to put this guy. What the hell? We got already a lot, blah, blah, blah. And I can hear her. So she comes out. This is again, truth. She says, listen, there's a desk out in the hallway. Push that damn thing in here and just put it right there in the corner so we can figure out where you're going to be. Just so you understand, don't bother me unless it's important shit. Timesheets are due every other Friday. Make sure they're in and don't tell me that you didn't get paid because you were too damn lazy to get it in. Now go, just go. She goes like, just go. <laughs> so I'm like eh, eh, pushing this like 600 pound steel case desk through a door. And then I can see a couple of the guys back there between laughing and like the look, the fast version is later on guys did put their arm around me, but there were some weird ass people in that group because that's where, <laughs> look, there was a, there was a, 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 and again, it's been a long time. Nobody will ever know, but only people that were there. She was a, a, a female agent married to this, this other male agent and, this girl, I'm telling you, she looked, I looked at her. She must be like 11 pounds. I mean, 11 months pregnant. She's like wobbling around in there. And all she did was like eat and didn't do shit. And then there was this older lady that had stacks of like files. And this other agent says, you know, this lady's been here for about 42 years. She had been on the job 42 years. You know, remember I'm all of like 20, 25 or whatever. So uh, look, to, to show, that's not where I wanted to be. These were like where a lot of the guys that were either retiring or were hurt or, or just a little bit pasture. of market. Yeah. Huh? Yep. Put out the pasture, retired on active duty. Well, it's almost it's almost like a geriatric narc squad. Oh, God, yeah. But but again, there were a couple of nice guys. There was a guy, his name is Kenny. You, this, so Kenny was a single older guy, very, very odd guy, but very nice guy. And I remember when, you know, I'd been there for like a month. He had gone away and came back like two weeks later and Kenny where'd you where'd you go and he goes oh, I went to Thailand he goes oh that's cool you went to Thailand I went on vacation he goes yeah 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 who'd you go with? no just by myself just by myself <laughs> oh I and, can see where this is oh yeah, and, and, oh yeah yeah and he was like yeah he goes and and where'd you stay he goes oh I, I stayed in this like little bungalow a little bit outside of uh you know like Phuket or something and you could see like the I don't want to say their last names the agent Mike Mike G you know, hell, I'll say he's even he Mike Garland. Yeah, oh yeah, great guy, great guy. Put it, he was the one that helped me through get through this because if not, I'd have been real sad. And what do you call it? And um, what do you call it? Um, he sat there and he's given me this thing like behind Kenny's. Uh, so for know, everybody Kenny, knows, yeah. he's just he's giving him the crazy sign, you know, the finger around the ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so Mike Garland. What he does is Mike every is day. A sharp dude too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So what he does to me every day at around like four o'clock, people are heading for the exits in this forfeiture group. He starts calling the groups around, you know, in in DEA there, in Miami, which there was no shortage of this issue. Is hey, listen, I got this this poor kid in the asset forfeiture group. He's been doing like, you know forfeiture affidavits all day you might want to just take him out on the street he just wants to go out on the street and he speaks spanish so you know that was like the one-eyed man in the land of the blind that spread like wildfire we put this kid's ass in the i, I listen i spent more afternoons in that hot van and with a kel and uh and i would go out every night and covered meetings and covered meetings and uh, got to begin on the street. And that's how the, the, the sort of the whole thing starts. Well, let's roll back. We, we want to get into your first story, but why did they, why did they, why, what, who did you piss off to get put in the asset forfeiture unit? 
Well, I think they were complaining that they didn't have enough people that knew what they were doing. Um, and, and again, the truth is there were, there were a lot of financial investigations. Remember, we were all still pretty green at this. There was not a lot of, you know, true experience. So I was called, uh, you know, and I was always referred to like two words, kid or pencil head. Hey, this guy's a pencil head. And I would wonder why am I being called a pencil head? Because I had a degree in finance and worked at a bank, you know, and uh, they'd say he's a pencil head because I was in former military and I was in former, uh, you know, law enforcement. So how I was, tall uh, are you, Alex? I'm a six, three, six, three. Yeah. Yeah. You're a big man. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh man. I don't know but that you, I'd be but, calling but you listen, but, 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 you know, and, and, and I'll share a quick thing is on one of those first, um, uh, one of those first uh, meetings, um, I, I, I don't want to say his last name, doesn't matter. Nice man, his name is Jack. And uh, they bring me into the group and they say, this is Jack, uh, who's, who's a gringo, but he grew up on the border and spoke perfect Spanish, but, you know, that border Spanish. So they said, hey, this is Jack. He's going to be UC today. We're going to, I need you to, if you don't mind, cover the meeting so you can listen to, to the conversation, record it, let us know how things are going. And I just remember being struck by seeing this man that didn't look well. And, and, and like for his age, I guess, or what he was, his eyes were sunken and he, he ends up sadly, uh, I come to find out not more than like, I think five years later, he retires like two or three years after this and he passes away, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, from complications from, from drinking and, and look, you guys know what shocked me amongst a lot, not a lot of things was the amount of, of, of old guys that really did not take care of themselves. They would smoke and drink. When I come on the job, I don't know, Steve, for like the first five months, you could still smoke in the office. The little, those little metal tins were everywhere. And you see these old guys, you know, they sit there smoking and drinking. You remember back then, every six months, we had to do the mandatory PT test. Yep. Some guys were told just to walk. Yeah, the old guys would walk and smoke cigarettes. Right, right, right. And us young yeah. studs were running, yeah. trying to get time. Yeah, trying to, trying to see. <laughs> you know, that reminds right. me of there's a famous picture out there. You talk about things being done differently. The very first Super Bowl, Len Dawson, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, sitting on the sideline, got a fresco, I think, in one hand and a cigarette. No, I, I don't know if it's a fresco or a beer, but something in one <laughs> hand and a cigarette in the other. This is, you know, yeah. <laughs> during yeah. the game. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. That, well, uh, yeah. And, you know, of course, everybody. Now you're not allowed to show it. Mickey Mantle and those guys in the locker room, you know, with a cigarette and a beer or a cigarette and a cocktail with, with their uniforms on. Hey, players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.